The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome, everybody, back to Benched with Bubba, episode two. We're with you here on this Monday night. Uh, all kinds of stuff to geek out on sports-wise, Game of Thrones-wise. We almost didn't even start the pod because I was just busy talking games of throws, and I said, maybe we should save it for the pod. Um, uh, special guest I have this week for episode two of Bench with Bubba is at PowerD underscore picks. Uh, you can find him as a contributor on sportsdegens.com. Uh, does a lot of other stuff on his own. Lots of good sports information. Um, Duncan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on here. We um, we had Duncan on one of the uh, NCAA March Madness pods. Like I said, he's kind of well-versed in all kinds of topics, as you'll find out throughout this podcast, all sports. Um, good stuff. And uh, real briefly, you wanted to give a little background on your sports and whatnot? Um, yeah, I mean, right now, uh, if anyone out there is actually following me on Twitter, that we're pretty heavy into, uh, into the, into the soccer right now. That was kind of a few years ago, what I got started with, um, kind of grown from there, uh, big Cowboys, Astros, Rockets, and then of course Liverpool and uh, Duke on the college basketball. So kind of, kind of try to follow it all. Um, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to hockey, but other than that, I'm I'm good with everything else. Cool, cool. And if you guys couldn't guess, um, based on his sports teams besides Duke and Liverpool, Duncan's uh, in the Texas area. Uh, so am I am I right with that? You're out of like you're out of Houston or Dallas area somewhere down by there. Um, I I actually don't uh, live there right now. Um, I kind of have been bouncing around recently, but I grew all the way through. High school. I live pretty much like outside of North Houston, um, yeah, so awesome. I try to I try to stay true to my roots. Um, kind of spent a little time all over the place. Was in Austin for a bit. Actually, was over in Ireland and the UK for a bit. Um, and so I just I gotta stay true to my roots, though. Nice, nice world traveler. Well, that'll get us kind of going. Um, Duncan has been our main Euro Cup guy. Uh, Caleb did a preview way back when the things. Uh, groupings came out uh nate or at george sports did a little deal with duncan for a preview predictions since then duncan's been banging out your round of 16 previews they've been great content lots of good stuff uh even the you know average at best soccer fan like myself uh it helps a ton gives me an idea what's going on um we're about halfway through the round of 16 and some stuff went bananas today and i know we'll get to that but um 
what are your biggest surprises or uh, of the opening rounds? Don't get to the round of 16 yet. Like the opening rounds, what was like the biggest surprises you, you saw? Um, I think in the opening rounds, um, we'll talk about a good surprise. And I think, I think Italy has been a really good surprise. Um, they, they beat Belgium, you know, preseason, you know, call them a dark horse or whatever. They're kind of been ranked in the top three to five in FIFA the last few years. And, and Italy handled them. They've been, they've been solid on defense as they kind of always are, but it was their attacking options that no one was really sure of. Um, they've had great names in the past, but Pella and Adair were kind of their two guys coming in this year and, you know, didn't really have a ton of international experience. So it was going to be interesting to see how they did. And they've, they've really, really surprised me in a good way. Um, and a team that hasn't really, or I guess that didn't, cause now the group stage is over, didn't really impress me very much. Um, there were two of them, and they were both from the same group, uh, Portugal and Austria down there in Group F. Um, Portugal squeaked in to the round of 16 with three draws um, with what most people consider the second-best player in the world and a decent, I won't say good, but decent people around him. I expected a lot more out of Portugal in what you would call a weak group, and then the team that actually finished last in that group, Austria, um, those were the two teams that I had advancing out of the group. They finished third and fourth. Um, so I, those two teams kind of were, have been pretty disappointing uh, in the group stages, at least. Yeah, no, it seemed like it's been a really weird tournament because I know, like, listening to you and the other guys in sports DJs and just everybody else on Twitter, a lot of soccer guys on there, that everyone felt like most of the groups were pretty cut and dry. And then once it got to the round of 16, and then all I'm seeing is everyone just – Chaos, like you said, they finished third and fourth. Uh, we'll get to the round 16. Now there's two yeah. brackets, essentially, and one bracket was heavy and one wasn't. Just craziness. Um, yeah. Um, the the group stages, you know, in the past, historically, they have kind of been cut and dry. The favorite usually wins the group. Maybe they'll finish second, but there's usually not a whole lot of upsets because a lot of the other countries who aren't on their level – you know, they just they, they can't compete like they can't compete with a decent team. So they definitely can't compete with the good teams. Um, but the script has kind of gotten flipped so far this year. The teams you expect to dominate have won, but haven't looked that great. The teams you expected, like, say, a Hungary, who some people thought would be the lowest scoring team and not even score a goal and have zero points. They won their group. And so it's just kind of been kind of been one of those tournaments so far. Yeah, well, it makes it fun, I guess, for the the fans to, to root for and everything, but it was pretty crazy stuff. Um, uh-huh. So now we're in the middle of the round of 16. Um, for those that don't know, now it's pretty much single elimination from here on out. And um, it was kind of over the weekend, it was pretty much favorites had their day. Yeah. But but um, today we saw – well, I didn't see. I wa- watched on Twitter. Um, Iceland beat – England for what many are claiming is one of the biggest upsets ever possibly definitely for the tournament. Um, how do you, what do you think so far of the round of 16 and what do you see going forward? Um, well, today was actually the last, um, the round of, of 16 is technically over now that um, today's games were finished. Uh, you know, a few teams got knocked out and now we're going to be into the quarterfinals next. Um, but yes, just as you said, Iceland beating England, 
you know, some people weren't as high on England this year um, as others, but still they have the name, they have the history. I mean, they freaking invented the sport. Um, and for a country that I think I read has 50,000 males in the age range and like a physical stature that are actually able to play international soccer for them to beat England. If it's not one of the top upsets of all time, it's definitely in the top three to five. Um, I know back when it was still East and West Germany, West Germany lost to blank on who they lost to. I think it was maybe Ecuador or something in like 1980 or 1982 and Brazil got bounced in the world cup early in the nineties. But I mean, other than that, yeah, this, this is up there. It was, it was a big, big, big shock. Yeah, no, I was like I said, I'm just kind of the novice guy. I've been getting into soccer more and more in the last couple of years. But like, even I realized that they were like my almost minus two fifty favorites or even higher at some time. It was just insane. Um, so with mm-hmm. the eight with the eight teams that are remaining, how do you think it kind of plays out? Who do you, who do you have taken it all? Um, well, when I wrote the piece with Nate uh, to start the tournament, I had um, France and Germany in one semifinal, and then I had Spain and uh, who was it? Spain and maybe England. I don't. I'm not sure. Spain and somebody on the other side, um, with France beating Spain in the final. So now. Spain is out, obviously, because they lost to Italy today. And France and Germany are paired up here in this next round. So uh, I think I'm going to have to alter. I think Germany is going to take down France. France were the preseason tournament favorite or the pre-attorney favorites coming in. Um, I think the Germans are going to beat them. I think they're going to knock them out. And I actually think... Wales is going to make it in from the other side of the bracket. I think the Gareth Wales, the Gareth Bales are going to are going to do the business. They got Belgium coming up in their quarterfinals, not going to be easy, but if they can snake by that team who hasn't really clicked yet, I I can I can see Wales of all countries getting to the finals of the European Championships. How crazy would that be is if Wales gets there and England gets knocked out. Because isn't Wales, like, in theory, like, a Scottish or an Ireland where, like, they're the little peasant brothers to England, and now they're going to show up? I think I saw footage somewhere where the team was watching the match and was just going crazy when Iceland was winning. Like, how crazy oh, would yeah. that be? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no love lost. And, and for Wales to still be in this tournament while England is out, even if Wales gets beat ten nothing by Belgium, they're they're going to be so happy. They're already so happy. That's outstanding, outstanding. <laughs> uh, well, that kind of gets us going on Euro Cup. Uh, the action again starts on Thursday, I think, right? The quarterfinals. Uh, yes, Thursday. on Thursday should start. Cool, mm-hmm. cool. Um, so check that, check all that out. Let's move on to the other international tournament that just ended yesterday. Yeah, last night. Um, last for those night. of you that weren't. For those of you that weren't watching Game of Thrones live, you're probably watching Copa America. And, um, wow, we'll get into the finals, which is just odd all around. But, um, overall, what's your best and your worst of Copa? And if it involves the finals, go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard uh, not to – you know, some people don't like Messi. I've always just been a fan from far. I feel like for a player with that talent, it's hard just not to, to like them. Um, and when he missed and they ended up losing on penalties, it wasn't the worst moment because um, the game, you know, it was a great game to watch. It was gritty, you know, 
the non-soccer fan probably hated it because it was 0-0. Um, but I thought it was a great game to watch. Um, you could tell the, the players really, really put everything out on the field. And to lose like that with the best player in the world missing you know, a penalty, uh, it, it was hard. Um, Brazil not making it out of their group was probably, I would say, the most shocking and maybe we could qualify as the worst moment with a, you know, a country who's won so many World Cups and who probably won, I, don't, I, I couldn't even tell you how many Copas that they've won. Um, but for them to get bounced, I know they didn't field their strongest team. Uh, they left Neymar out. They, lost, they, left, they left Hulk out. They left, you know, a bunch of their, bunch of their guys out. Still don't really know why. Um, I think that coach is going to follow Roy Hodgson from England out the door and not get welcomed back. Um, but those would be the two worst moments. Um, best moment, you know, come from the same game uh, that Argentina lost when Chile when Chile won on penalties. Um, it's a very small country. It's it's it's. I don't know if you how familiar most of our listeners are with geography, but it's it's the little tiny strip of country that's beside Argentina. Um, so Argentina is this giant, you know, country with a tiny little sliver on the side, like it'd basically be like California to the rest of the U.S. And so for Chile to beat them again, they beat them in the finals last year. They beat them again this year. That I I that means everything to that country, and that means everything to the players and to the fans. And as as heartbreaking as it was to see Messi, you know, kind of fall to the ground after he missed, you know, he was in tears and after the game and stuff, he still hasn't won a major finals with his country. But on the other hand, to see a country like Chile go back to back, it, it's pretty cool. It gives, it kind of gives the little guys hope, especially some of these teams in, in the Euros. They see it, you know, it's a talented team, but it's such a small country. And so the Iceland's and the whales of the world that are still out there, you know, they can, they can pull from that and they can, and they can make some noise over, over in Europe. Well, I think the, I think the best thing that I'll get back to Copa here in a minute, I'm going to try to tie kind of both these together. Like you said, the small teams in Chile and the, the Wales and the Iceland, even Northern Ireland had a good run. Um, I think at worst, it's showing that these teams can compete with the big boys could make the world cup really that much more exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Because usually, even even the like I said, the novice fan like me, I already know going in. Okay, you got Germany, Spain, Brazil. Like I, I can name like the ten or twelve teams that are pretty much mm-hmm. going to be there in the end. Um, yeah. But seeing this kind of makes it a little more fun because soccer is becoming more mainstream. You know, you could say it's because of concussions in football or whatever it is, but it is becoming more popular. We kind of talked about it last week. We can talk about it again later today if we want. But it is pretty cool to see. And the most, like the really cool thing I saw in a different aspect, the winner of that Copa match, their country got three million dollars. Is that mm-hmm. true? Yeah. My. Goodness. So the little sliver got three million dollars. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it may not sound like much to compared to you know an NFL player's salary, but for the, for for the federation and you know they can probably take that money. Uh, they can build new training facilities. They can get new probably gym equipment. They can get a bunch of stuff with that money, and it's going to go a long way. It's nice to see. No, it's going to be huge. It's, that's, that's great to hear. Um, speaking of, uh, so you already talked about Chile as the champion and everything. Um, besides Messi, who had a great tournament minus the penalty kick fiasco, uh, what, mm-hmm. player, what player kind of stood out as the best player in the tournament to you? 
I definitely disagreed with um, the tournament player of the year being Alexis Sanchez from Chile. I mean, he did he had a pretty good tournament, but I wouldn't by any means say he had a he had a great tournament. Um, I actually think uh, the guy who missed the first penalty for t- for Chile, uh, Arturo Vidal, he plays over for uh, Juventus in Italy. I thought he had a very very good tournament in midfield for Chile. Um, I thought both the Chilean and the Argentinian goalkeepers, I thought they had fantastic games uh, all tournament long. They were always solid. They never really were caught out of position, made some great saves, both of them in that last game, to keep their teams in it. Um, And I think for as little support as he had sometimes, I thought uh, Clint Dempsey for the USA, I thought he had a really good tournament as well. Um, He's not your prototypical out-and-out striker like he has been playing for the U.S. since Josie's been injured. But when he was at, when he was called upon, he held up the ball really well. He scored goals. He made things happen. He made the other two strikers around him who were kind of inexperienced. He kind of made them a little better. Um, and I, th- I, I thought he had a, a pretty good tournament uh, for the U.S. Nice, nice. Um, okay, so Argent- we've already said it. Argentina lost again. They seem to lose every time. What is that? Three or four times now Messi has not won the big game. Um, uh, three years in a row, actually. Three years in a row. That's just – like you said it best last night. I started laughing when I saw your tweet. They are the Copa version of the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> it, it's so funny, but when you put it that way, especially in like a country, like I've said, or, or the novice soccer fan, then we can totally relate to what you just said. Like – yeah. Thing like like Scott Norwood missing the field goals, Lionel Messi missing the penalty kick. Like it's all right there. You can write this stuff. Um, two two parter here. Will Argentina ever win a tournament? And do you think Messi is really retiring, or is he just kind of frustrated with a lot of things and might change his mind? Um. Yes, I think Argentina will win a major tournament, and I think it'll be because. Messi is not done with his international career. Um, I, I I think I also tweeted this last night. I I remember in eighth grade we were in the the semifinal games for our our club's uh, state championship, and we my team went to penalties, and I didn't I didn't sky it like Messi did, but I had my penalty kick saved. And in eighth grade in a semifinal, it felt like the worst thing ever, and so. I can only imagine how bad he was feeling after that game. I know he was emotional. Um, I think he had been thinking maybe if he won, he'd retire. But after how bad it went, he just you know posted, "I'm done. I'm done with Argentina, whatever." Um, but I think the net when the World Cup qualifiers, he may not play in the first few. But I think I think he's going to be there in 2018. And I don't know if Argentina will win that World Cup, but I don't think he's done with Argentina. And even if he is done they just have so much talent. It's hard to see them not ever winning, you know, another Copa in the next like five to 10 years. Well, cause it's uh, like people that weren't watching. And I, I got to watch the, like the first half before Thrones started. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher this, but Hagin, Hagin, I'm probably butchered it. Had a header that probably my unathletic rearing could have poked in or whatever. He had an easy goal. <laughs> And if that goes in, they win one nothing, and none of this is being talked about. So, yeah, the little things. Um, one last soccer question, and then we'll get into some other stuff. Um, okay. 
USA, they lost one nothing in the third place game. Everyone's saying they played well, this, that, and the other. Is the team moving in the right direction to become competitive? I asked Rome this last week. He had optimism. What's your opinion on Team USA? And are we ever going to be able to compete with like those teams from Europe and South America? Um, that's a tough question. Um, I that's what we're here for. I th- yeah, I thought um, outside of the first time they played Colombia, uh, when they just kind of got spanked up and down the field, I actually thought the USA had a pretty good tournament. And even though they lost 1-0 to Colombia the second time around in the third place game, that was probably the most impressed I've been watching the USA play under Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, and possibly the most impressive I've seen them play since... I don't know, maybe the 2006 World Cup, the when the Brian McBride getting injured and red car, all those red cards against Italy and everything. That was that was the last game that I thought, man, that that was a good performance from the USA. So it's been ten years, um, <laughs> and it's I want to say yes that they will be they'll be competitive, you know, by the time I'm 50. But I I don't know. Um, I think it stems with the development. If you look at the English and Spanish and South American, German, all the those countries, since soccer is their main sport, not you know just an afterthought, kind of like it is in the U.S., they're snatching kids up when they're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and putting them into just world-class training. They have, they have coaches who could probably coach most national teams coaching these kids. Um, they're learning the technique, they're learning the skill. And even if the U S players know the technique and skill, it's sometimes it's just the lack of awareness on the field is just shocking when you watch them play. Um, it's always easier when you're, when you're watching than when you're playing, but some of those, you know, the, the, the Italy's and, and Germany's of the world, they don't, they're never rare. They're rarely caught out of position. And a lot of times when the U S concedes a sloppy goal, it's because, a defender was just in the completely wrong spot. And that's something that takes years to learn. And um, I, I don't know. I hope, I hope some, some money gets put into our youth development. Um, the MLS, it's getting, it's not getting good, but it's getting rich and people are starting to come in and invest money into it. And all that would do is hopefully trickle down to the youth system so they could start their own academies. Um, we can't rely on just us youth soccer academies it has to be more than that and until it is no i don't think they have a shot in hell at being competitive with teams around the world no that that's the that's a really good answer because it, it's so true all the big powerhouse countries and so like like down in south america i've heard stories where literally it's like okay this kid's somewhat athletic at four they take them from their parents house and like this is all you're going to do is play soccer um it's a mm-hmm. whole different animal um like you said they play it year round we have kids here who will play three sports. Like, it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes total sense. And, you know, I, MLS is growing like crazy. I mean, yeah. I'm even going to attend a game that's close by. It's, uh, it, it is getting there. So, yeah, I think you're onto something there. And I think a lot of it does start with building a better program from the ground up, not waiting for them to get to a certain level. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. Most of all, I'm not a soccer guy, so that's all the soccer talk you're going to get today. Um, Let's move on to America's team. Well, unless you're watching the NBA draft, apparently the Phoenix Suns are America's team. But um, 
we're going to talk football with the Dallas Cowboys. Duncan is a big, big, big Cowboys fan. Football kicks off. She's like seven, eight weeks for the regular season. It's just right around the corner. Uh, off the yeah. OTLs just occurred. Mini camps are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I was looking it up today. You guys haven't been super crazy on the off season, but you've done a few things. Um, with the drafting the already promoted Hall of Famer and next Emmett Smith, Ezekiel uh, Elliott from Ohio State, and uh, some other nice moves you got on defense and whatnot. What's your kind of outlook? Like, I know you're going to be optimistic because you have to be. That's what a fan does. But what are you kind of seeing for the Cowboys this season? Um, optimism is a good word. Um, I feel like for a solid – you know, eight to ten years there, you know, maybe from 2000 to 2010, my optimism had slowly drained and, and waned each year. But since then, um, I know last year it was awful. Um, it, it was honestly in the last few weeks just a joke. And I actually was glad at how bad they were because I wasn't getting super pissed and I wasn't just in a bad mood all the time because – they were losing BS games. They were losing because they didn't have a quarterback. Um, but I kind of anticipated um, the lack of, you know, free agent acquisitions. I didn't think they'd be too too active in that market. Um, I wasn't sure if they were going to go after Zeke or not. I I wasn't happy. I wasn't over the moon with it. But also, you know, you can't knock them for 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 trying to do that. You know. Um, I, I thought they had a pretty solid draft. They got a few pieces on defense I think they needed. Um, obviously, they're going to get a few guys back this year that were hurt last year. Orlando Skandrick, best cornerback. He was out for the whole year last year. Sean Levy in and out. Who knows? Hopefully, he can stay healthy for a whole year. Uh, Rolando McClain was out. Randy Gregory was out. A lot of guys were just kind of missing times last year. And obviously, yeah, on, even if – you know, even if Romo was the only guy on offense to go down, um, that that's a big that's a bit that's a big piece to lose. Um, so I'm filled with optimism. I like that. I, <laughs> I kind of like that McFadden got hurt um, yeah. because I didn't want there to be any question on who the number one back was going into the year. I I I hate it. I didn't. I don't care what team it is. When teams do the fifty fifty games to work. Um, Patriots do a decent job of it, but other than that, it just doesn't seem to work. And so I'm pretty happy that McFadden got hurt, even though as a player, I want there to be a guy who is the guy and who who doesn't have a choice but to produce. Um, I know Alfred Morris is hanging around back there. I kind of hope we don't see too much of him. I hope McFadden can come back healthy, be the number two guy, and then I'm really hoping that we see – the Lance Dunbar that we saw before Romo went down and before he ended up tearing his ACL last year um, in that game against New Orleans. Um, I really – he he reminded me of uh, – what's that little guy? Uh, Deion Lewis on the Patriots who kind of propelled them when guys were going down. Deion Lewis whenever he was on the field. Um, he doesn't play too much, but when he does yeah, – I think he was – 12 yards, a catch out of the backfield or something stupid. Um, so hopefully he's back healthy. Obviously, great offensive line. Romo, a lot of people hate him. I love him. Um, I don't think we have a better option. 
even if we tried to shop around. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that this this is more like two years ago. I think hopefully not too many expect expectations get lumped onto them, and they can just kind of not play the underdog role because even if even last year when they were three and eleven, they were still favorites going into some games, and so. I don't think they're ever really going to be underdogs in the eyes of the public, but I hope they can kind of play with a chip on their shoulder, not have 15 starters out injured at the same time. And, and yeah, I'm optimistic they, that they can win the NFC East and make some noise like they did a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Yeah, no, they're always going to be the favorites as, as long as uh, Romo's healthy, especially, um, and at least in America's eye. Um, Romo yeah. is a good Rumble is a good quarterback. I, I agree with you. It's fun to give him crap. You know, he dated Jessica Simpson and then this cheerleader or whatever the heck he's married to now. And he just plays that, like, he looks like that yeah. goofy, like, schoolboy. Like, he doesn't look like a tough football player. And um, I, I think he just gets that rap, but he's always hurt. And I saw you, the Cowboys drafted Dak Prescott. Are they shooting to have him as the backup this year? Or are we going to go with another, like, are we going to try a year where we find a, another type, Whedon type or Orton type? What's their game plan there? Um, I think Prescott is going to go in as the number three guy. I think, uh, if unless I've just completely missed something over the last couple weeks, uh, to be honest, I haven't really been following much of the offseason stuff after the draft. The Cowboys have been kind of invested in, in soccer and some of the other sports right now, but... Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Kellen Moore is going to be the number two guy behind Romo. Um, he he didn't play well. He kind of got thrown into the fire a bit last year, and I don't think he really was given a chance to succeed just because of how the situation was with the team. But I think Dak, if anything, you know, if they're if it's you know third and one on the one, maybe they bring in some special package with Dak. Zeke and and Dunbar lined up in some sort of crazy wildcat formation or something that just it's just I don't think he's going to play a down to be honest but the options is going to be there um they'll probably they'll they'll obviously will try some things in in preseason and whatnot and I think he's a pretty good athlete he's obviously huge he dominated the SEC that one year uh when he had his his he didn't win but when he had his kind of Heisman candidate season uh down there in Mississippi State and He's got a cannon for an arm, so if he can wrap his mind around a pro playbook, he may be all right, but I, I don't think we're going to see too much of him this year. Okay, one last Cowboys question for you. Speaking of big athletic people, what are your thoughts on them drafting Rico Gathers, the Baylor basketball player, in the sixth <laughs> round of the draft? What do you think? Is he going to be – like, is he going to try to be the Cowboys version of, like, an Aaron Hernandez out of the slot? Or what are they doing with this man? Uh <laughs> – I don't know. He he may be uh he may be another guy that that might not actually step foot on the field this year. Um, but he I mean he's a freak athlete. I I was really a fan of the Baylor basketball team. Um, and so I watched a lot of him on the court. Um, he's an athlete. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He can jump. Obviously, he's like six eleven or or whatever. He you know, um. So yeah, same thing. If it's third and goal, throw in you know Dez on one side and Witten in the down the middle, and sure put big old Rico Gathers over there on the other side and just make make teams at least respect it. I don't know. I don't know if he can catch football, but I guess we'll I guess we'll find out in preseason. 
yeah, he's a freak athlete, so it's definitely possible. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll move to the diamond real quick. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time here if we don't want to, but uh, you're a big Astros okay. fan. You, um, They're a young, up-and-coming team. I thought they were a year ahead of schedule last year. They played great. They were so close in the playoffs against the, the Luckbox Royals. Um, it's just the ball, it just didn't fall their way, and it just fell apart after that. They started out horribly this year. Like, it looked like the Astros of old. Um, and now they mm-hmm. found their spot again. The, the youngsters are starting to hit. Carlos Correa just got named NL Player of the Week today, the youngest player, I believe, mm-hmm. in Astros history or something. Um, you got Springer, Altuve, the works. Keiko's starting to pitch a lot better. I saw a stat. He just, in reality, if you believe all the sabermetric stuff, he's been very unlucky, actually. Um, there's a lot to like, a lot not to like. They had some interesting trades in the offseason. That's all done. You can't do anything about yeah. that now. Um, they just called up Reed to play first base. They have Bregman. Mm-hmm. They promoted to AAA. Tons of young talents. Um, do you think this run is just kind of a premature and they're going to kind of even out again? Or are they going to make a big run to the, at least the wild card? Because the Rangers right now are pretty much unstoppable at the moment. And they're they're running away with the AL West. There's a lot of time, obviously, but they're running away. Um, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think in the Astros have the rest of the way? Um, yeah, uh, speaking of, of Luckbox Royals, um, the, whatever Luckbox – stuff was going on up in Kansas City, that's in Arlington right now because the yes. Rangers have been playing luck box baseball better than any luck box team has ever played baseball in the history of baseball. And yeah. I'm just going to leave that right there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think last year was a year ahead of schedule. Um, I, for sure, was not anticipating the run that they went on. It was a hell of a ride, but I, I thought maybe they could, they could creep closer to 500 last year and then this year you know kind of maybe take that next step with a couple of you know pitching options or something but uh i i think they are going to make the playoffs this year i think they're too talented not to and that the sabermetrics thing that you're talking about the astros are actually if you look at all those crazy numbers that get compiled into a stat the astros are 30 out of 30 for unluckiest teams in the MLB so far. And they're still over 500 being the unluckiest team in the league based on whatever crazy metrics that is. And I think a lot of that kind of had to do with uh, Keiko. He's a ground ball pitcher. Everyone knows that. Um, He got out of crazy jams last year that he shouldn't have gotten out of. And this year the ball's getting hit two feet the other way. And he's just kind of got destroyed early on. He's starting to come around a little bit. Still giving up a few too many home runs for my liking for being a ground ball pitcher, um, but hopefully they're going to get that stuff ironed out. Um, still have no clue who they're going to go with. And if if they do get into the postseason, who's going to close for them? Is it going to be Gregerson? Is it going to be Spitfire? Is it going to be Will Harris? I think their best bullpen pitcher right now is Michael Feliz, and he only pitches in the fifth and sixth inning when guys get blown up too early. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think the hitting is going to stay pretty hot. I think they just have too loaded of a lineup base, uh, a power-wise, not not to hit well. I think the other day uh, Gaddis was hitting in the nine spot. Evan Gaddis, he he could he could he could hit clean up on most teams, and he's hitting ninth. Um, so that's that's kind of nice to see. 
I like more young guys coming through. Hinch has at least given them a few games here and there, see what they're made of, and then and then let them go back down to AAA, kind of get a little more experience um, in case the senior players kind of get hurt later on. I think that's kind of the rotation he's working on right now. Um, and other than that, just starting pitching has to get better. Um, they've got the they've got the guys to do it. They just haven't started doing it yet. So hopefully, hopefully that comes around, and if they can get their pitching down. They'll be fine. Yeah, I totally agree. Their their offense is loaded. Majority are all young guys. Like you said, Gattis batting ninth is insane. Um, yeah, it, it it all comes down to the pitching. Their bullpen was lights out last year. It was one of the, one of the best, if not the best, in baseball. And it's been a cluster this year. Like you said, they've had three closers now. They can't yeah. figure out. They can't figure out what they want to do. Um, and I think this run they've been on, a lot of it can be contributed to. Keiko's pitched better, McHugh's pitched better, Fears has pitched better, and Fister. They're all starting to pitch better because that first month it was just one shellacking after another. And yeah. didn't and was McCullers good. back healthy, it seems like. That helps. Yeah. McCullers, yeah. So I think they're in the right direction. I don't know if they'll catch the Rangers unless the luck box runs out, but a wild card is not out of the question by any means. And um, – could make things really fun for another year down there in Texas. And hey, what would be more fun down there is that the Astros and Rangers faced off in the playoffs. Finally gets. Yeah. Well, maybe the the Rangers have our record over the last couple of years. I think at one point they were like 17 and three against the Astros over a 20 game stretch when we made our run in the playoffs and including this year. So hopefully we don't actually play them in the playoffs, but we'll see. Well, one may call that ownage. Um, (laughs) Speaking of ownage, Let's get into Duke and Coach K, who's basically owned the NCAA for on and off for the better part of, what, 20-plus, 30 years, whatever he's been doing it for. Um, yeah. The draft just ended. Um, the third – or the second pick of the draft, Brandon Ingram out of Duke. Um, and then you got Michael Bingier. I don't know how to pronounce that mm-hmm. wrong. Those are the only two guys that went this year out of Duke, which seems like a, sh- a small group for once. So – but if I if I'm doing my math correctly, they should still have a lot of returning players next year, unless they because they're usually not a bunch of seniors. But I'm not a big Duke guy, that's why I'm asking questions. Um, mm-hmm. I they have a good recruiting class every year. How do the new recruits look? And um, does Coach K have another run in them this year? Um, that's that's a good question. Um, they are gonna have the talent to do it. I was a little surprised, but. Absolutely ecstatic that uh, little little white guy uh, Grayson Allen. He's he's gonna come back. I didn't think that he would. Um, you know uh, the other little white guy, Luke Kennard. He he's he's gonna be back. Obviously, he had, was not ever gonna go pro, but now that he is gonna come back, those are they're gonna have a few guys to build around. And then who knows? I there's you know there's all the different metrics or whatever. But I think they're getting you know three of the top 10 rated high school players and McDonald's all Americans and all that good stuff coming in next year. So um, if you're looking at the betting favorites, I think Duke and Kentucky are kind of 50, 50 on right now odds on to win next year. Um, I can, I can see a similar start um, just with relative inexperience. Uh, Duke, I mean, they won most of their games, but they I didn't really feel like they played that well at the beginning of last year. Um, but once once they kind of rounded into form, mainly when, when Brandon Ingram kind of really started started catching fire and, and playing well and catching the eyes of everyone, 
he kind of started shooting slowly up the draft boards all the way up until some people thought myself included that he should be taken over Ben Simmons. Um, and he, he's a big loss. He's, you know, number two pick in the NBA draft, but I think, uh, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be fine. Um, I, I think, you know, the first, uh, November, maybe into December may not be super pretty to watch at times. Um, but I think once, once March comes around, uh, Duke will be ready to go. Um, not sure if they can handle, you know, multiple tournament victories. Like if they win the ACC tournament, I would go out on a limb and say they don't win the NCAA tournament. If they don't win the ACC tournament, I'd probably put them in my final four for the NCAA tournament. Um, that's just kind of what happens with, with youth and inexperience. Um, but hopefully it's a good run. I'm really excited for that season to get started as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, college basketball is a blast. It's, uh, it's one of the few sports that, uh, you can have all kinds of teams you root for because they're all, there's a ton of them. And it's just, it's a blast to watch. The kids actually care. Um, yes. It, it, it's good stuff. Um, real quickly, just a couple quick notes on the NBA draft that just took place. You already said, um, Mr. Skin and Bones Ingram, who, by the way, God put some weight on that boy. Um, but um, Ben Simmons was taken number one overall. Why don't you think, just real quickly, why don't you think he should have been number one, and do you think he'll become anything in the pros? Um, you know, uh, I had a lot of talks with uh, Doc, actually, about about Ben Simmons. The talent's there. He's He's probably one of the most talented people to come out of the draft in a long time, just based on, you know, all, all the things that he can do. But when you're that good and you can't even get your college team over a 500 record with, like, decent people around you, you know, I just – something just kind of seemed off with that. Like, LSU was pretty bad, and Simmons put up all his numbers, but the team, like, he – normally those kind of players make everyone else better. That's just kind of how it goes. You get a stud in, and everyone else kind of steps their game up. And I didn't really see that with LSU. And it's a little worrying. Um, Talent-wise, you know, hard to argue against him being the number one pick. Uh, I just I just think there was something that was a little off watching some of those games last year. Um, and he'll be fine. He'll probably be an all-star. He'll be, he'll be a really good player. I mean, he'll probably have to leave Philadelphia, but um, he'll he'll be good. He'll yeah. he'll have a he'll I don't know if he'll be in Hall of Fame or anything, but he'll he'll probably have a decent NBA career. Um, so it's hard to argue against him being number one. I just thought, you know, I thought I thought or I thought uh, I thought Ingram, you know, could bring just a little bit a little bit more to the table in terms of you know a player who's able to play with other good players and not someone who like if he doesn't have the ball in his hands passing it around I mean you can't do that as as a, as a three four guard you know so so we'll see how that translates the Sixers are going to be interesting to watch this year because I think uh I think I think they're going to put heavy expectations on themselves that just don't get fulfilled but we'll see no there's there are a ton of young talent but there are a ton of unproven talent a ton of talent that seems like they usually they're usually all the go-to guys there's only one basketball, so it's tough to get yeah. young kids to buy into a philosophy like that. Uh, like yeah. Coach K, Coach K can get kids to buy into that philosophy. NBA is a little different, but on the bright side for Ben Simmons, um, if you really want to get goofy here, he's gone from Australia to Louisiana to Philadelphia, so his cuisine's gotten better everywhere. He started with Vegemite, 
And then he went to like Cajun cuisine is good, but now he's getting like Philly cheesesteaks and all that good stuff. Like that's the only yeah. downside. The only downside is he might become neighbors with Tweety Dimes, and that's just bad for mm-hmm. everybody. But that's oh a whole yeah, other. they'd be best buds hitting all up all uh, Tweety Dimes local Especially, hangouts. I just hope Ben Simmons doesn't wear Ralph Lauren or he's in trouble. Um, <laughs> let's play a little get to know your guest real quick. Just real quick. Favorite sport. I'm sorry, say that again? What, we're going to do a little quick know your guest. What's your favorite sport? Uh, soccer. Favorite sports team? Liverpool. Favorite food? Oh, man. Uh, I'm honestly a rice and beans guy. Like, nice. I, I like other stuff, but if I can just make plates of rice and beans, that's good with me. <laughs> favorite adult beverage? Um... Shiner. Shiner Bach. Keeping it real. <laughs> um, best live I'll, – I'll, I'll do anything. It doesn't have to be sports. Best live event you've ever attended. I'm sorry. You cut out a little bit on last one. Best live what? Best live event you've ever attended. It could be sports, concerts, anything. Um, I was at Bill Clinton's inauguration in 1996. Wow. Um. Yeah. What what event is on your bucket list? Oh, uh, Liverpool Man U at Anfield. I got to get to one of those. Nice. And last but not least, your favorite TV show. Um, it's I think it's a tie between that '70s show and How I Met Your Mother, just because those were kind of what got me through through college. Um, but as of right now, it's it's all Thrones, man. It's all Thrones. Well, now that you mention that, <laughs> we can get into our Games of Thrones talk. We've been waiting for this. And we have been waiting for this. It's go time. So for those of you that don't want spoilers because you live under a rock and you don't, haven't watched the episode yet, um, you can either off. stop listening or yeah, turn turn it off or come back in like ten or fifteen minutes. Um, I'll figure it out <laughs> for you later. But um, let's start with the finale. Like, I swear to God, I was already pumped when they said it's going to be a sixty-eight minute finale, which is like the longest episode by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and it lived up to the hype. It starts out well. Let's just go step by step. It starts out with Cersei's just plan of attack to destroy everything. Yes. And she brought, she brought the wildfire back. Um, I had a feeling that the sparrows were finally done. Did you think this was how it's going to happen? Or what, what were you kind of thinking was going to happen with that whole situation? Uh, I definitely thought the sparrows were done. Um, I didn't think there was any way we would see any of them in season seven. Um, wasn't exactly sure how it was going to happen. Did not anticipate just everyone else going down with them. Um, I, you know, Thrones is always good for throwing just the most wicked curveball you've ever seen. And going into this season, I was, uh, I was a little timid in my expectations just because they were going to start to go off script from the rest of the seasons. George Martin really wasn't going to be calling the shots anymore in the director's chair. Um, but HBO, they have, they have some of the best producers and directors out there. So that 
as soon as I saw the first few episodes, I was like, oh, it's going to be just fine. Um, but I had no idea what to expect last, uh, last night. Um, and just everyone getting godded by Cersei. That was, that was unexpected, but, but edge, edge, edge of my seat stuff. Like he was crawling towards that barrel and I was like, oh shit, it's going to blow. It's going to blow. I was like, no, he's going to get it. Nope. Nope. It's going to blow. Like I was just, oh, it was great. 